loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Roberta S. Kurloff. Roberta is a speaker, community activist, former attorney, and the author of Framing a Life, Building the Space to Be Me. With humor and poignancy, her memoir takes readers along an inspiring journey of self-discovery as Roberta finds that home is less a physical place than an intrinsic sense of self, an unshakable foundation of the heart and soul. She also published Everything Special, Living Joy, Prose, and Poems to Inspire, and a short story she wrote, Unearthing Home, was published in Yellow Arrow Publishing Journal. An essay called Musings on the Word Atonement was published in Art in the Time of Unbearable Crisis, Women Writers Respond to the Call, published by She Writes Press in June 2022. And you can find her at robertakuriloff.com. It's K-U-R-I-L-O-F-F.com. Welcome, Roberta. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. Um, I'll ask you to share some of your story in a moment, but one thing I wanted to say at the very start is that uh, some memoirs particularly make me think about how we can um, tell the story of our lives f- through the losses that we've that we've had in them, and that maybe is especially true of you. Could you share with the listeners what what brought you to the book and the particular um, idea of of building framing a life? Well. Um... The, I've been always thinking about writing a memoir, and I'm, I consider myself a positive person. And I wanted to share with people that although ri- life can be so difficult and challenging, there is so much more in terms of how you look at life. Uh, and I look at it more inspirational and look, look to the future and not look always to the past. And so when I was at a retreat in Massachusetts um, many years ago, I discovered I was meditating. And when I went back to my room to, uh, to continue meditating, something happened and I just words started pouring out of me. And luckily I happened to bring a book to, uh, that was that I could take notes in. And I started these words were pouring out, and that became everything special, living joy, prose and poems to inspire. And I really wanted to share how that happened. And that's how the, the memoir came, so that I could talk about that experience that I had. And I wanted to share with people um, that life is very difficult, but it can be very empowering and learning and sharing. And so I wanted to share my story of growing up in an orphanage and what that, um, how that affected me and how I um, grew from it in, in 
and how I looked at life because I had to have a good attitude to survive that experience. And that's how I decided to write the book. Uh, what, what struck me about your early life is um, most people, I think, um, think of children in orphanages as parentless, but you were not parentless. You no. had a very loving father who yes. just couldn't manage to keep life and limb together and have you and your brother there when your mother died. And that's a unique experience, I feel, uh, that apparently other people in the home you were in at that time were having as well. But it's not what people generally uh, conclude in their minds about that experience, is it? No, definitely not. You you have the old movies of horrible orphanages on people being beaten and things of those kind of stories. This was this was a Jewish orphanage um, when when we went to the orphanage. My brother was uh, three and I was uh, seven, I think I was, and my father couldn't care for us. Uh, he he was. Uh, had a store at one point, but then he became a cab driver. We tried; he tried to get uh, other relatives to help out, but the one relative, his sister, who took us in for a year, um, she it was found out that she also had cancer and was dying, and her husband couldn't take care of us. So his decision was to put us in the orphanage that he could see us on weekends, and. Uh, still be a family until we came, went back home with him but it was it, it was a decent orphanage it wasn't like the stories you read about in the old days but it was but not still, easy sure but, but still lacking in what i would call um personal space um, no, without question space to the space to discover who you are you you kind of had to do that later didn't you and yes, it, even later. down to a detail that really stuck with me was uh not even um none of you even having your own clothes sharing right. wardrobe you know so that that yes. really does undermine individuality doesn't it yes without question i mean we we had to line up and given the clothes to wear um, every day or every week. And uh, we had to eat in, in a big cafeteria. And uh, the one good thing is we were able to go to public school when we lived in the orphanage that was in Far Rockaway, New York. And, but then the, the, um, we, the uh, orphanage, this one closed and we moved to one in Yonkers and that was school was inside the orphanage, which was disappointing because then I couldn't be with friends that are were outside of the orphanage. It it, it kind Everything of was your experience then, didn't it? Right. It it was yeah. um it was very, very hard and hard on my father for his readjustment to visiting us. Mm-hmm. Um I do not have your experience at all, but it made me think of an experience of mine, which is that we we moved a lot when I was a kid, and that um, I think pretty much as a result, uh, I've lived in the same home for 37 years. And I think that's, you know, the idea that you built a home for yourself 
after those early experiences resonated with that for me. I, I don't think I, I think I could move now if the <laughs> circumstance was such, but I think it was so important to claim a physical home. Do you, do you think that was an important part of, of um, kind of growing through your experiences more? Because I know you did build your home. I assume you still live there. I don't know. Yes, I still live here. <laughs> this is the point. <laughs> yes, I. I always uh, when I when we lived in New Jersey on a farm with my aunt and uncle before we went to the orphanage. I just fell in love with that life. Um, it was cows and other animals and um, uh, beautiful land, and I always had that in the back of my head. And when after we moved uh back with my father after the after being in the orphanage um it was in brooklyn and went to public school which was a, which is was a total adjustment because it, it was just so different from my life before uh but then uh as i got older became a lawyer i ended up practicing first in connecticut in new haven and my partner and i uh and i talk about this all in the book of course my partner and I um, started visiting friends up in Maine, and I never before was in Maine, and I just fell in love with it. And mm -hmm. we bought this land. It was 27 acres and all wooded land and, and grassy areas and fields, and I just fell in love with it. But we then uh, ended our relationship, and she kept the house in New Haven, and I kept uh, this land. And I knew that I wanted to come up here and build and give up my life in New Haven and my practice there. It was a big challenge. It was very scary. But I was really excited about doing it. And I hired um, an architect and she designed uh, what I wanted. She made a, a, a model of the type of house I wanted. I did a, read a lot of books and I learned about solar uh, heat and uh, and then every time I would come up, I'd visit the land and just fell more and more in love with it and decided, well, I'm going to try to do this. And as I talk in the book, it wasn't easy. That's for sure. No, I was in the building trades early in my uh, life. Uh, there was a lot of that going on in, in our particular community at that particular time. time. And, and, uh, I, I'm really glad for that experience, even though that wasn't my life path, mm -hmm. uh, to to see what it's like to build things and make things and how how they work. It's it's a good thing to know about, isn't it? It is, and it was challenging to for me. I never lifted a hammer before. I had none of that type of experience, and here I was, you know, building a house. And I I hired two women who uh, were builders. And they and I worked with them, and um, at one point in my book, I say, if um, for people who want to do building, I, I I'll call I call I'll call the new book never again <laughs> because it was so exhausting <laughs> and challenging. But it really built up my both physical and mental um, abilities, and it it was it was um, it was really a good experience. And also, you know, I, I I am very intent on never giving the impression that transformation uh, 
through loss is an easy thing. It's a very, very hard thing. Yes. And, you know, it, it feels to me like your, your uh, house building kind of reflected the difficulties or was a good metaphor for the difficulties of truly being yourself, facing up to your losses. Um, yes. Is that how you see it as well? I, I do. I think life is a challenge and you have different ways that you can look at it. And growing up in the orphanage, I had to find a way to get through life and just, and somehow or other, there was something in me that looked for the positive versus the negative. And go ahead. Would you share that little uh, that little piece from your book? Just it's just a paragraph about having aspirations because I think that's in line with what you're talking about. The things that favor a particular person to uh, grow as opposed to be leveled by a thing. Okay, I hope this is the one you're talking about. I didn't have choices in my childhood, yet thankfully I had aspirations even though at the time I didn't know what that word meant. As my home kid friends, we called ourselves the home kids, as, our, my, as my home kid friends later reminded me, even in the orphanage, I was always acting like a social worker, giving advice and being an advocate when I believe the actions of the counselors were unfair or unnecessary. The dream of being Superman, well, Superwoman, supported my loneliness and gave me purpose. I survived by seeking purpose. Now in this new stage of my life, I struggled again to find purpose, to find meaning, to thrive, not just survive. You know, it's an unusual thing to have that kind of uh, goal as a kid. I, I think kids are inclined to just be living minute to minute, right? But you you knew you were going to have to consciously make something of your life that that you were going to make meaning. And I wonder where you got that idea in the first place. You got any you know, idea? I, I haven't the slightest idea. Other than that, um, because my father was not a positive person. He he was he lived a very hard life um, in Ukraine and. And I talk a lot about that in his in his family and the fears and how they hid in the woods when the Russians came to try to take the house, you know, uh, things from the house. And so there's a lot of stories about that in the book. But um, I think seeing him so depressed and down in many ways, that I, I think there's something spiritually that goes on with us when we're born or what our purpose in life uh, is in this new life, because I do believe in reincarnation. And I talk about that in the book as well in my experiences. And so I, I think, I can't even say for sure, but I think being positive was a way to be the opposite of my father in many ways, not mm -hmm. to get lost in sadness and in and grief. And of course I, got lost in sadness and grief but i always came through it um with looking at the future and expecting that this is not my only life and i will go on and maybe have lots more experiences so 
I think that's where that comes from. And also from some of my uh, cousins um, in, in, uh, in New York and New Jersey that were positive people. And I think that's maybe where some of that came from too. Maybe I'm I'm a bit skipping ahead in your story. Go ahead. Um, the to me the um, you know there's I can look back on my life and see what losses there were and how that led to certain things, just as you're describing. And then at least for myself and many people that I've had on the show, there's a crushing loss, mm-hmm. right? There's there's one that just really. Uh, breaks you open or down that's the choice (laughs) and um it 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 seemed to me that that was the loss of your new partner yes Yes. that 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 was unavoidable you you had to you you had to grieve right no choice um is that how you see it right right you allowed the grief there quite actually. Right. And I know we're just going to start this before the break, but that seems a, a a huge aspect of what you're talking about in the book. Yes, without question. I I met Nancy and we hit it off right of right away, and we were together a year, and I met her family, and they they lived in uh, uh, Buffalo. And I loved that their her family. She had a sister and, and a new uh, nephew and wonderful parents. Um, and she had a lot of difficulties with them. And I talk about that in the book. But it was such a nice feeling to be part of this family as as well as to, to be in this new relationship. And then suddenly she died in a car accident a year after we got together. And it it just devastated me unbelievably. Um, but at the same time, as I, as I share a lot in the book, is the connections I made, not only with people, but with Nancy over the next couple of years. It was eight years of totally beautiful discovery hmm. in, in, in the depths of sadness, there was beauty and love and sharing and learning. And I was able to do that because I think originally with my positive nature, maybe sometimes <laughs> oh, I eat. Yeah, I, I really don't want to shorten this conversation because okay. I think it's so important how those two can coexist. So let's right. come back after the break and talk about it. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Roberta Kurloff, you can go to robertakurloff.com. Be back soon. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, 
follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Roberta S. Kuriloff about her book, Framing a life, and before the break, Roberta, uh, we we just began to talk about Nancy, a huge, a huge, um, shall we say, turning point, a huge loss, and a huge and a huge point. turning point. And one thing I wanted to say about that is, um, you know, people make all kinds of assumptions about, I guess, what I'd call proportional grief. Mm-hmm. right well you were only together a year or right. well you had each other for 50 years and i find there's no relationship between um except with her in one way which is that you had a picture of a very long forward with her right and you lost her and you lost that at the at the very same moment uh in yeah. such a shocking way and um I, I wanted to know if it was since you're a, a go forward person, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're optimistic and you're attached to being optimistic. Was it hard to allow yourself to dive into your grief, or was or was it unavoidable and you accepted it right away? What was that like for you? I I think I dived into my grief in in that trying to understand the meaning of what happened. What what was the purpose of Nancy dying? Why should she die so young? Why um, should I lose this relationship that I just discovered? And those were real painful, painful experiences when I went through that. But then at the same time, as I talk about in the book, 
over time, over the years, um, I delved even deeper into spirituality, into trying to understand um, Jewish mysticism, to understand um, reincarnation. I did um, some programs uh, at conferences on those topics. But the one amazing thing that happened is out of Nancy's death, I found a new family, her mother and her father and her sister. And they became my family. And in fact, her mother is still alive. She's 99. Oh, and, wow. and we keep in touch on the phone. I visited her a few times. Um, she, she and her husband early on after Nancy's death came here and visited me. And so beside my father, I had this new family and my father and my brother. I had this new family with a mother and a, and a father. Um, and it's not the best way to get a family when you lose a partner, but it made such a difference uh, in my life. It, I, I, it was so special. The other thing that, that uh, really sat with me uh, about your relationship with her family is that of course, anyone in the the LGBTQIA mm -hmm. community knows many people, if not themselves, who who have um, achieved um, celebration and acceptance, or who haven't. Yeah. And it was it was very poignant to me that they had not been accepting, but they were getting there. They got there much more with you, and then they kind of went all the way there when she died. That, that that changed them, didn't it? Um, totally. And, and I was able to help them through their um, sadness. We, we, we shared that same sadness, and I was able to share that with them. And I even got her mother to believe a little bit in reincarnation and those types of issues. <laughs> um, and Willing to consider that there might be more to the universe than she previously thought, huh? And I know they were fairly, very, fairly religious. So they that's... were very religious, and she was always very religious. But um, after her husband died, we were even closer, and we could talk about these topics. And I would visit her, and she was my mother there suddenly, and we, and it was a positive relationship so in a way i brought nancy back to her mm. in that process because we could talk about death and dying and um and she's now even saying i don't know why i live this long but um uh, and she loved the book by the way <laughs> she read it i was a little <laughs> that's nervous. a real plus <laughs> that, that was a real plus and um and in fact if i can just share this little snippet um and, and it's in the book, and I might not have the exact wording, but um, her her sister uh, and had had the, had has had the baby, and her baby was uh, two years old, and her sister um, had was in the car with the child, and then had to just jump out for like a few seconds to go into a store, and when she came back to the to the car, um, her son said Nancy, and her sister looked at her son and said. What do you mean, Nancy? And he pointed, said, Nancy. 
And she freaked out because she didn't relate to any of this. And she's and she said, Where where's Nancy? And I she said, Is Nancy here now? And he shook no. Um and she was in a state of shock. And she wrote to me with the exact verbiage of that conversation, which I put in the book. So the the, the spiritual was coming through in, in odd ways. Three. I, we both, um, I spent a lot of time with Stephen Levine when my wife was ill. And, oh, I read, I read his, and you read his book. So without um, question, a story he used to tell, I may, I think I've told it on this show before was about, um, a new baby in a family and the three-year-old kept wanting to be alone with the baby. Mm -hmm. uh, and the parents were concerned for mm -hmm. obvious reasons, but yeah. they finally realized they could put a, a monitor in the room so and stay right outside the door so they could rush in mm -hmm. if uh, anything went wrong and the three-year-old went up to the crib and said baby baby tell me about god i'm forgetting oh my gosh very wow. beautiful story i i'm i live a lot with mystery i don't need to know exactly what it all means but there's a lot of mystery in the world isn't there there sure is <laughs> Without and question. so um, it, it was also interesting, you kind of knew it was going to be a long time in between. And, and I got the strong impression that the long time in between was really about your relationship with yourself. Yes. Um, which uh, I know it was a shorter period, but I know that that was very true of me after my wife died, that mm -hmm. I came to know my own contents in a in a very different way can right. you talk some about that how yes. that for you um i think i think um right now what i think about is uh try, trying to figure out who i was looking at myself deeply again um in a different way um I did go to um, a psychic, which I talk about in the book, who said that in uh, that Nancy and I would write a book together. And I'm thinking, what what is she talking about? And that ended up happening because when I wrote Everything Special, Living Joy, it hit me. Oh my gosh, she's right. We wrote a book together in a sense um, because of my experiences, and. Um, uh i think i lost the uh, other part of that question now but um it's it got me to really explore uh, so many different aspects of uh our universe in, in terms of reincarnation in terms of um being i hope my dog is not making noise here I, no no it's fine <laughs> um so and and i was speaking uh about um mysticism i was doing so much reading and i was um in his book also that you mentioned uh so i was ex i was exploring and growing um and finally uh going to the retreat and writing that book was the culmination of everything that I had been going through and all these beautiful experiences 
that I was having along the way. And that opened me up and uh, um, in the eighth year, which is what the psychic had mentioned to me, um, suddenly I woke up and I realized in a dream that I had that Nancy was saying, you have to move on and letting go. And that's when I met Bernice soon after that. That's, uh, I'm, I'm always interested in that expression moving on because, um, I, I mean, I personally prefer moving forward, but yes, you don't give me the impression that you moved on as in ending something. You no, moved no. on as in uh, incorporating a new relationship. Ex but, and expanding or, my life. And expanding your life. Ways. And at the same time, when you're talking about Nancy, it feels very present to me. Like mm -hmm. she's She has not... Am I am I reading into this? She has not left you, but it's totally different. Yes. Yes. I think it was it was time to to break in some ways, but still keep the essence of the relationship, the essence of all the learning that I went through and um and to write about it in the book about her and her life and her mother's life and, and you know my life uh and how it got so entwined um as a family that i never had in such a way um even though i have a big extended family on mm -hmm. on my father and mother's side but um so that'll never be out of my system thank god i think i think she gave me a gift of exploration and that was something that when that she wanted to do for herself when she, she was married very briefly and her husband died um when she was young and she was also going through her discovery and writing poetry um but then at some point that changed and she had other relationships and and was struggling in a way that I wasn't struggling. Her hers was her time was much harder than my time after she died, because I think my my positive attitude, my view of life, um, was uh, deeper in some sense. Also, I was older. I feel I feel as if if you let it, um, grief grows your capacity to grieve. Yes. Yes, and, and, and that in hospice too. And you've had so many losses that you responded to in different ways. I, I have to think you were ready in some sense for yes. the experience. Why don't you share, before we go to another break, why don't you, you share, there's a, a little passage that really is about the effects of right. death on you. And let's share that before we go to break. Okay. The effects of Nancy's death on me had become as enriching as the effects of her life with me. The irony didn't escape me that all my life I had longed for the family that was taken from me. Now I had a family, but it had come at the expense of another loss. Nevertheless, it was healing, healing me in the present and healing the child of the past. So that's kind of in line with what we were just talking yes. about. Yeah, uh, and it and it honestly seemed to me that 
one of the more um, painful aspects of your mother dying was actually the lack of of goodbye, the lack of being with her, the lack of having a way to to process that. Life just kept moving. Do do you yes. feel so? So that didn't happen with Nancy's death. You no you had the time, space, and maturity to such um, a difference from a young, even though it was. Old. And even though it was also a, a death without a goodbye, right. but um, it seems to me that one helped you with the other somehow. Without question. And I, I think it was also that when I was in Connecticut, I got involved in hospice and I um, did hospice, sat with people who were dying. And that that experience was eye-opening to have that because every time I was with someone dying, it was like being with my mother because I never had that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, she she suddenly she was missing from the bed and that was it. And and what does a six-year-old know and or understand of that? And For so sure. and every time being a hospice volunteer and sitting with people who were dying and their families, it was it was like sitting with my mother in some ways. Helped you to to process that. Right. Let's go for another break and come back to that in a few minutes. And listeners, again, okay. you can go to my website, weatherandgrief.com or the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Roberta Kurloff, you can go to robertakurloff.com. Be back soon. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to BetterHelp.com dot com slash good grief that's betterhelp.com slash good grief and receive a 10% discount for the first month these days everyone is looking for information on staying young healthy and fit the voice america health and wellness network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you we talk about everything from diet fitness and aging to substance abuse personal growth mental health and much more learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives tune in to the voice america health and wellness network healthy living starts here Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Roberta Kurloff about her book, Framing a Life, and you were mentioning before the break, Roberta, that uh, you worked with hospice. You volunteered with hospice uh, in New Haven. And, you know, it, it feels to me like nobody chooses to do that or feels drawn to do that accidentally. Um, I've met people who didn't immediately know why they were drawn. But when we talked further, it was very clear why. You know, they'd had a lot yes. of high school losses or something had happened. Um, it's it's not otherwise a, a particularly intuitive thing to be doing, right? right? But it sounds as if you were quite conscious that um, there was something about that that was going to help you in terms of the loss of your mother. Would that be fair to say? Yes, I think that is fair to say. I think when I first learned about hospice, it excited me, um, and I went to the training because I was curious, and it was such an eye-opening experience, so enlightening to be able to have people that I could talk with, especially during the training, about death and dying and what that meant and talking about dreams and um, experiences, and also talking with clients because as a lawyer, I would be sitting with clients and I would be listening to their lies and their pains and their uh, losses or when a parent became disabled or um, uh, lost memory and they were having all these problems. So I was used to talking with people about these issues. So it wasn't new to me, but with the hospice training, it, it, was, it just opened me up to explore on such deeper levels than I could talk about necessarily with, with clients and, and even e difficult to talk about with, with some friends who couldn't relate to these types of issues. And so hospice made such a difference. It, it just expanded my mind because that's when I discovered Stephen Levine and all those type of books. And you, uh, you know, some people who are optimistic are also they try to skip the deep dive into what's hard. You don't seem like that to me. <laughs> oh, no, I got to go into the hard. <laughs> <laughs> that was a deep dive into the hard, wasn't it? Um, yes, it was tears. It was scary. Um, and, and, a, and, a, and then beautiful. on the other hand, gave you a, a different frame for the experience of losing your mother. Itself. Yes, without question. And then you go from there, the next loss you have. I, right. I yes, and I and in in Maine, I also got involved in hospice and was um, did volunteer work and was on the board and so and then and then working with battered women, uh, particularly in in New Haven, um, and helping start a domestic violence project there, I got really a different side 
of life. A different type of loss. Uh, also very profound. Different profound, especially to, to deal with women who have been abused. So as I well know, um, having written a book and I'm doing some writing now, uh, part of it is you end the book, but life goes on. Yes. Right. Life goes forward from there. Right. How would you say all those experiences impact your life now? Well, I, I think I'm I'm the same person, just a lot older. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I've been to get uh, been together with my spouse. We've it's 28 years now. Um, That's a similar time to me and my current wife. Oh, <laughs> just a yeah. year off. Yeah, and and it was like after those that period of time, like I mentioned before, that suddenly I realized one day I woke up and I thought, "Wow, something something's different," and I was open to a relationship, and in my communication, so to speak, with Nancy. That was a push for me. She was pushing me to get into a relationship again. And uh, Bernice and I have been together all these years. And then three, two, two months after uh, Bernice moved in my home here, um, my father was not doing well. And I had to call her from Brooklyn and say, guess who's coming to dinner and may stay. And that was... If, if something could break a relationship, that would do it. I, I've been there th three times. Right. So I know <laughs> whenever you speak. <laughs> and um, it was very hard, but th that was like another spiritual challenge. And I had to keep saying to myself, this is a spiritual challenge. This is a spiritual challenge because he was a, he was a sad, negative person. Um and he had a rough life. Bad negative person dying is, and, a, and is a real cloud over a household, isn't it? it? Definitely. And Bernice was absolutely marvelous with him. And and that's that towards the end and the end of my book about that relationship and dying in my home. Um, and it um, it was very it was very meaningful ultimately, uh, but it was very difficult. You know, the, the whole um, post-traumatic growth concept yeah. that um, growth can come along with the suffering. That's such yes. a good example. And I, mm -hmm. I have to think that really impacted the course of your relationship to start out with such a significant challenge that you faced together. Um, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> and it was a challenge. And... Bernice helped me through that. She was she was so great um, in terms of accepting my father and all the craziness, like loud, loud, loud TV, um, and not liking. It was very hard because he was um, a Jewish man with um, would would relate to all the culture in Brooklyn, and in Maine we have. A simple culture, not not um, uh, such a diverse one, and so it was it was really hard for my father, and we both had to deal with that and and deal with our feelings, 
at the beginning of a relationship and it brought us closer and closer together. Thinking about your father for a minute, um, it he did something so different with his traumas, didn't he? And then at the end of a person's life, what they haven't done does kind of show um, he was pretty hard to negotiate with, for instance. I got the feeling. Yes, right. He, especially around food and yeah. doctor's appointments and trying to get him to do things with other people and to make friends. I, I, one of my, one of my personal prayers is may I continue to be adaptive. <laughs> I like that. Yes. <laughs> because life will throw stuff at you. Uh, right. I know that's true for you and, and for me as well. Would you like to share one more little piece of the book? Yes, I'd love to. Okay, this is the, the one you wanted me to read. I read somewhere that the real goal, goal of meditation is to come home to parts of ourselves that we had lost in the rush of life. This was a challenge for me. I lived actively, sometimes obsessively. I hadn't possessed a natural inner calm. Nancy's death changed me. My soul peeked out and roared, finally, you noticed me. I didn't need to be Superman's daughter anymore as I had in the orphanage, which was something I told myself a lot. Maybe now, believing it. <laughs> Maybe now, believing it. It's the believing, isn't it? <laughs> it's the believing. That, that, um, and the knowing beyond believing. Uh, yes. it, it seems to me as if your sense of not knowing grew over time and i think it's it's the accepting the not knowing and and moving forward anyway i mean we can't i mean i think i always wanted to know everything i think that's why i read so much and probably why i became a lawyer i was um, thinking about that <laughs> probably related yes and um we can't know everything and it's at some point we have to say, okay. And that's the same thing which I we discussed prior to um, this discussion uh, that a couple of months ago, I found out that I have ovarian cancer and I'm going through chemo now. And gratefully, the not knowing is good because I'm learning to live fully and, and not, it's not pulling me down. I'm being positive, sometimes a little sad, um, especially when the chemo doesn't work that well. Um, but uh, I'm moving forward. It's it's not like I'm looking backwards. I I look forward to a good life and a, a hopefully a hopefully a long life. Um, and so I still have that same attitude. Um. There's a lot of talk in my corner of the world that I would describe as um, the commitment to live as well as one can for as long as one can. I like that. But the mystery is how long that is or how well, <laughs> right? right? But um, I do encounter a lot of people in a fight with that, you know, that, that it really is the end of life, no matter how it comes, is very mysterious. Yes. And, and we never know. We never know how it's going to end. Um, so I'm not I'm not into like a fighting mode. I'm into an acknowledgement 
um, acceptance of the reality and moving forward to live life fully. I would call that, uh, um, I'm thinking of two people, my, my mother and a, a very dear friend, both of whom said they were having an experience of cancer. They were not fighting cancer. I like that experience of. Experience of, and, and that seems to me to capture what you're talking about, that yes. you can do the things that are in your best interest and figure out what those are from your view, it's not a war though, is it? It's a it's not, it's not a war. Not a war. Yeah, it's right. fight right. imagery. It works for some people, but for many people it's it's antithetical to the way they've lived to be at war with what's happening, yes? Without question. And I don't want to feel at war. I want to feel at growth, at discovering why did this happen? I mean, I don't know why it happened to me, but then what do I do with it? And what, can what I, I do with it, it is try to to live life fully. And as much as I can. And allow I oneself, I, I, uh, we don't have time to go into this deeply, but I feel a big part of it is also allow oneself to be taken care of. Yes. Yes. Uh, and that's nice too. <laughs> it's pretty nice <laughs> if you have the people around you. I, it's, I Bernice it's, is the uh, most wonderful person, uh, partner, uh, spouse, um, giving, joyful, and we can share these things together. And that's I'm very privileged and lucky. I, I of course, know quite a bit about that experience having. Mm -hmm helped yes. someone who had been with someone who had cancer for 10 years. Wow. Well, quite a bit about what you're talking about. It is a huge blessing, isn't it? Yes. I want to thank you for being with me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I, I enjoyed it very much as well. Good night. I hope people will go look you up, robertakuroloff.com. Next week, I'll have Judy Reeves, author of When Your Heart Says Go, My Year of Traveling Beyond Loss and Loneliness. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.